Welcome back to 106.7 The Fan. Two hours in the book so far regarding uh, this show. I've had a lot of fun talking about a lot of NFL, that massive trade yesterday, a lot of commanders' thoughts going into free agency. But I do want to pivot now a little bit because it's March, which of course means there's a lot of madness going on in the world of sports, in the world of college basketball. And there's different types of madness going on in this area at this time. You've got, of course, the NCAA tournament coming up, and the Maryland Terrapins will be there. As far as the Georgetown Hoyas, there's a different type of deal going on. They've got a new coach. We don't know who it is, but we just know they're going to have a new one because Patrick Ewing is out on uh, is out as, as coach. And I want to talk about that. Um, nobody better to discuss that with in part because there's almost nobody else covering this team anymore, (laughs) but my guy, Bobby Bancroft, who of course writes about Georgetown for the Associated Press and Casual Hoya joins me here. Uh, and, and we're hopefully going to have our guy, Brian McNally from, uh, from Monumental Sports come on as well to talk about it from the Maryland side. But Bobby, we'll talk about Georgetown first. And first, I just want to say, I don't know if congratulations are in order, but you you are one of those people who has really suffered the last few years because it's not just that Georgetown hasn't been anything close to their historic standard. They've just been an absolutely miserable college basketball team, no matter the conference, the, the level. All things considered, they've been about as bad as anybody in the league the last in, in the sport the last couple of years. How does it feel to be, for better or for worse, to get a fresh start, whatever that's going to be? Well, Ben, thanks so much for that kind introduction. Um, I will say that Georgetown absolutely needs a fresh start, a new way of doing things. But at the same time, I don't think that um, Patrick Ewing leaving should necessarily be celebrated, if, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a it, look. You know, I grew up a, a, a fan of Georgetown in the era when Patrick Ewing played. You are a guy that has grown up a fan of this team, we both, you know, you lose some or all of that uh, connection, emotion when you start covering the team as we have. But needless to say, Ewing is, you know, Ewing is the 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 guy of this program other than John Thompson Jr. You know, when they fired JT3, you and I would talk for a long time about how he's got to have one of the safest jobs in the sport. And seemingly he did until the bottom fell out. Even compared to Ewing, like you could like when you're in that when you're in the building, you could kind of erase or whitewash or or just remove sort of the JT three images. You can't do that with Patrick Ewing. He is the program, so there's no getting there's no getting away from it, and it, which makes it sad about how things have gone. Even though ultimately they did need to make a change there. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I mean, you know, right after they lost to Villanova, I was ready with all my stats about just trying to. As you said, I've been going to all these games, you know, fewer and fewer people, live bodies are in that arena. And I just wanted to make sure that I wasn't just feeling a certain kind of way. When you look at what they haven't accomplished the last two years, it's sort of, it's really difficult to do. It's mind boggling. They went 13 and 50. Uh, A power conference team has never lost 50 games over a two year span. They hit lows that we didn't really think were possible. So, it was time for a change. They needed to make a change. I mean, let's be honest, probably needed to make a change last year. What they tried to do and bring it back and let Patrick go out 
on a higher note than the historical low of last season. I understand what they tried to do. It was going to be really difficult, and it probably went even a little bit worse than last year, even though they won a couple more games. All right, we're uh, talking with uh, Bobby Bancroft, who covers the Georgetown Hoyas for the Associated Press. Also here with us is now here with us Brian McNally, who uh, has covered all these uh, teams in town uh, for various outlets now with uh, NBC Sports Washington and Monumental Sports. Uh, Brian, let me swing this to you. As a, The three of us all grew up here. We may have had different rooting interests over the time, but obviously you appreciate the Patrick Ewing run. Um, looking at it from the outside, I mean, it obviously there was a lot of even controversy with the hire in the first place because he had not coached in college basketball, but you understood the appeal to see how things have, unfo- have unfolded and how far down Georgetown has dropped. Can you even imagine it as a guy who's been a lifelong fan that this is where Georgetown would be at this point? No, Ben. I mean, we grew up with the brand, right? We grew up with the, you know, even if you weren't a Georgetown fan locally, like if you were just uh, a Maryland fan or just had, you know, other interests and weren't really into the team, um, you, you, you still paid attention, right? Like you still, uh, I still threw Rich Shavotkin on the uh, on the radio if I was driving around. I still like, you know, it, it still mattered if they were, you know, they still mattered. That, that's that's the whole the whole thing from, you know, even after uh, John Thompson left and they had a little bit of a dip and then came back under JT three, like it, it still felt big and important. And then, you know, just by the kind of the end of the, the JT three era, you could see the crowds just as Bobby said, kind of dwindling and interest, not quite being there and all that kind of stuff. But it, it it's jarring though, how quick it, it kind of all fell apart. I mean, Maybe maybe you could see it coming a couple of years ago, but you know the team obviously that was in the NCAA tournament not that long ago. I mean, it it just the the speed with which it just kind of all uh, fell apart. It, it still feels kind of uh, you know, jarring, I guess is the best word. And and uh, you know you hope you, you still know there's a good program in there, right? Like you, you knowing the brand, knowing the people that have been associated with it. There's no reason they can't get back to the point where. They're playing the way Mar- you know Marquette was last night, or you know, uh, uh, being kind of a big part of the Big East tournament again. This this doesn't have to be a program that just settles into into irrelevance, and I don't think it will. But as Bobby would note, I'm sure they got to get the coaching hire right here. They can't they can't make another mistake that costs them five or six years, or or you do start to get into that that area. For for sure. Now there's two elements here for Georgetown. One is. They've got to reintroduce themselves to the local uh, sports fans. The The fan base is basically at this point alumni or people who still think it's the 80s and just think that Georgetown is still amazing because everybody else is just checked out one way or the other, whether that's because they're out on college basketball or out on Georgetown. So that part will take some time. But, of course, one way to get more people paying attention again is to win, which is why now we're going to spin this to the, to the, to the coaching search. Brian just went through this last year painstakingly studying all the possible candidates before Maryland lands on Kevin Willard. Um, now Bobby's in that position here for Georgetown. Uh, Bobby, uh, you know, as I said before, you write for Casual Hoya, and uh, our friend Andrew, who, who, who leads that site, is you know, fairly connected with these things. He's putting out that Ed Cooley looks like it's the main guy. He's not reporting it per se, but just talking to people. That's been a name that's been mentioned a lot over the years. Some kind of connections essentially to the Thompson- world as as i think as, as like a long fan of them and and everything they've uh, accomplished 
where are you at on Ed Cooley, both the idea that, A, it could be him, or B, that he is tangentially at least connected to the Thompsons? Is that okay? Would you prefer the clean break? Where are you at if, if, if Ed Cooley is the, the legit guy? Wow, there's a lot to unpack in that uh, question there, Ben. I think that without a Thompson coaching tree, Ed Cooley is absolutely the closest thing to that. Um, you know, you go to college, or you guys used to go to college basketball games all the time. You'd never see the head coach out on the floor before the game. That's when the assistants kind of do what they do. Um, when Providence would come to play at uh, Georgetown, Ed Cooley would always be there talking to Big John side for the game. It's just something no one does. You never saw it. Um, you know, when they dedicated the Thompson Center, Ed Cooley came down. You know, he sent at least one of his kids to Georgetown, currently there. He, uh, he was just in town. He talked about visiting her while he was here. Um, you did mention Casual Hoya site. Um, in talking with people over there, even this morning, it does seem like there is real momentum. There have been discussions. Um, these things change every kind of every couple of seconds. But Ed Cooley is a real thing. I think the people that are concerned that there needs to be a break from the Thompson brand, I think Ed Cooley is far enough away from that that he will, in the event he were to come here, he would honor and respect and acknowledge the way Thompson did things. But he does things differently. He doesn't do things like they did them in the 80s. So I don't think that there should be a concern for that. Uh, let me ask you both this and give me a quick answer before we uh, pivot over back to Maryland, to, to, over to Maryland. Look, Ed Cooley's been a very good coach, and you can say that he's done a tremendous job considering Providence is not a great job. It's in the Big East, and you know they've had some success. You know, made a Final Four many years ago with Rick Pitino and that type of deal, who is part of this conversation as well, of course, Rick Pitino. But <laughs> but they, Providence hasn't had like under Ed Cooley like this great success in the tournament. There's no Final Four or Elite Eight runs, right, to point to things like that. So I don't. I mean, he would be certainly would be uh, put Georgetown back towards the path of respectability. But it's not like a guy who's like a massive move. But Brian, you just kind of went through this with Kevin Willard. Same deal. Not a guy whose record suggests, wow, this is the best coach in the in the country. But at the same point, certainly a pretty good coach and was winning at a place that doesn't have a lot of uh, perks going for it. So Brian, I'll start with you. Ed Cooley is that. A big enough move, or would you rather them almost go like on a different level, even for a, an unproven coach to take a bigger swing in, in some regard? I don't know if Georgetown Ben is at the point where they can take big, big swings that are super risky, right? Like, you know, Maryland did kind of face that last year, where you had some guys out there who, hey, can we make a run at this person? Um, they they have a lot of a ton of baggage. It might not be the best spot, but but you know, they'd be a home run higher. I mean, Patino was, was in that mix. I don't know if he was a serious candidate. I have no idea. But, you know, they, his name was thrown around by people who mattered, I guess. And, you know, in the end, I think they made the right hire. You, you make the hire that stabilizes the program, gets it back to a, a, a certain, you know, a consistent tournament team. That should be kind of the goal at this point. So I don't, I don't know if they need to go recklessly, you know, We'll just take a, a, a shot and hope someone, you know, a big name wants to come in that maybe needs a, a reclamation project. I, I don't know that they need to do that. Ed Cooley be, you know, a, a really, he's a really good coach. I just kind of question, does he have the, does he have the energy here to rebuild um, almost from scratch uh, that, you know, he's done a good job with Providence. I, I just would, would question that a little bit. And 
maybe want a, a little bit younger of a coach who could kind of bring that energy and hit the ground running, recruiting especially, because that's the that's going to be the key thing for Georgetown here. All right, Bobby. Let me let me phrase the question for you slightly differently, and then we'll go to we'll we'll go to break. I'm going to make Bobby put Bobby on the spot. He's the one closest to the situation. He's he's the one whose life is more affected by what happens here than the rest of us. I got my own problems covering the football team. All right, Bobby. Here here are your options. Give me who you would want, and give me what you think will actually happen. Rick Pitino has been constantly mentioned. I think everybody would love that, except for perhaps the administrators at Georgetown, which is why maybe. That's not realistic, but obviously he comes in, your whole program is viewed differently. Mike Bray, leaving Notre Dame, he's from this area, has always been mentioned, and possibly coming back in some way, he's somebody that could be there. Micah Shrewsbury from uh, Penn State, he's got the Nittany Lions in the Big Ten championship game, he's been rumored. We talked about Ed Cooley, and then a little more off the radar, Mike Jones, the longtime assistant, uh, the longtime head coach at DeMatha, who went to Virginia Tech to be an assistant a couple years ago. Presumably, if you went that route, that would be a play for the local recruiting scene, which is very important, obviously. Those are your five options. Who would you want, and what do you think is going to happen? I think that Georgetown has hit such a low, and you know, hopefully I can see you guys at the game at some point again. There's, you, can, you, know, you can talk to anybody from uh, any point in the arena. <laughs> Georgetown has hit such a low that I think – if the big donors that are interested in Patino, if they get loud enough and make Lee Reed kind of go in that direction, I think that's what you have to go to just get this program. It, it just needs CPR, right? It needs complete life support. And I think that is the move that I would make. Um, the other guys you mentioned, a lot of good candidates there. I definitely would roll out Beret. I think he maybe is a, a guy for maybe American. Um what I think Georgetown would do and what they're going to do and what I think that they're in currently in the process of doing is throwing an offer at Ed Cooley that they hope he can't turn down. And I think that's where they are. That's where they're going. And I think it's very similar to what Brian just talked about at Maryland. Cooley and Willard were kind of holding the spot in the Big East while Georgetown's been asleep. And neither Willard nor Cooley have really any NCAA tournament success to speak of. But I think that they both have a very high floor and Georgetown cannot take a chance. And I think that's where they're going. All right. Well, where we're going to go is we're going to take a break, but I, I'm we're going to make radio history here. We're going to keep the two of these guys on with us because now we're going to talk about where Maryland is going. Uh, that is not to the Big East Big Ten final, but it is to the NCAA tournament. And we'll talk about that. Plus, get these guys uh, thoughts on the NCAA tournament coming up as well. We'll do that next here on 106.7 The Fan. All right, look, college basketball, I, I would say at least for me, is not what it's been historically in my life. I'm one of those people who really struggles to name. I couldn't even tell you who will be on the All-American team this year. But even if you're a super casual fan, like I guess if I'm being honest, I am at this point, this is the time to start paying attention. It is March. The madness is upon us. Right now it's a conference tournament week. The NCAA tournaments start next week. And while we just discussed in the last segment – what Georgetown maybe needs to do to get back into that conversation. We can talk about the Maryland Terrapins who are in fact heading to the NCAA tournament. We will see what seed and all that uh, come tomorrow with me here to discuss all that. We kept them on uh, for another segment, Bobby Bancroft who covers Georgetown for casual Hoya and the associated press. And my guy, Brian McNally, a longtime college basketball savant in this town. And Brian, uh, ironically, we, we were just talking about whether Ed Cooley could be the coach of Georgetown next. 
I just pulled up the Athletics' current bracket projection. They've got Maryland as an eight seed in the Midwest. Their opponent, the number nine seed, Providence Friars. But I know Bobby would be watching that game. He, he wouldn't want to watch Maryland otherwise. But for this one, he might make an exception if it's to see what Ed Cooley does in the tournament. Uh, but for you, Brian, how excited are you to see what Kevin Willard's group is going to do after what's been a surprising year to get to this point? Yeah, that's a win, right, Ben? I mean, they were not that the uh, not that the preseason rankings are everything, but I think Maryland came in tenth in the Big Ten in uh, in the official prognostication. So, uh, for the fact that you know a, a, a ten spot and you turn that into a um, you know, kind of disappointing six seed in the Big Ten tournament, to be honest, they were tied for second on going into the final game and slipped with a last second loss to Penn State, but. All in all, I mean, if you had told me before the, the season that Kevin Willard would kind of effectively blend uh, the, the old remaining Turgeon players, um, hit the portal, do pretty well, and, uh, and get this team to the tournament, I mean, I think every Maryland fan would have taken that. That's, uh, that's the way you stabilize a program. Uh, what he does, you know, from here on out, does he, you know, can he win? Can he win in the tournament? Can he get to a certain level? That stuff's all going to have to happen for him to kind of retain the fan base. But I think in year one, this is a, this is a win for Maryland. Um, for years, Brian, Bobby and I had the same reaction watching the Maryland teams under Mark Turgeon. It's not even – I mean, like, look, we went through this whole situation. I know Brian was on the Turgeon's got to go camp, and I ultimately by the end I was there as well. But it, watching it throughout the time, the thing that always struck me about him as a coach is – there was that game against Georgetown years ago at at uh, Xfinity Center, and Georgetown was down to like their like twelfth string point guard, and Turgeon refused to press, and that told me right there that he's not for me, that he doesn't he's 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 got his plan, but he doesn't know how to adjust in the moment. I think Bobby felt the same, but it feels like Willard, the his style of play gave Maryland more energy this year, and that maybe helped offset some of the fact they don't have like you know all American talent. But him being willing to play more aggressive on both ends of the court really seemed to spur on Maryland this year. Is that is that a fair assessment? Definitely a fair assessment. I mean, look, uh, Turgeon didn't do that stuff at all. And if you have kind of a offensively challenged team, and there were times where he had really good offensive teams at Maryland, but when you have uh, you know the talent they have this year, I mean, Ben, I, I think I fell out of my chair the first time I saw them like throw on a legit proper full court press <laughs> early in the in the season. And, and that's stuff that, you know, that's the style of play that a lot of Maryland fans would have grown up watching, right? Gary Williams employed that he used his defense, their length to kind of turn teams over and generate offense that way. They didn't always have, they didn't have first team all America offensive talent. They ran the flex back in the day. Like it it was not one of those things where they were, um, you know, just, just getting all the top, you know, they weren't, they weren't getting Ray Allen. You know, they didn't have future NBA all-star offensive-type players. So they, they did it another way. And I think it, the frustration, for sure, in terms of style of play, was, was there with Turgeon, which was always, you know, kind of an undercurrent, even when they were winning. But then when things kind of went off the rails here at the end, you know, became, a, became a, an extra source of frustration. All right, Bobby, let me ask you this. Now, as a guy who is has thrown his lot in with the Georgetown side of the world. I know you're never thrilled to see Maryland thrive, and it's understandable. Brian probably feels the same way, but going the other way, whether he wants to admit it or or, or, or not. Uh, 
Was any of you, though, like somewhat happy that at least one team in the area has like sort of gotten back to you know staying in that NCAA tournament level? Because obviously this is such a hotbed for basketball and across the board. It has been, you know, gone downhill. George Washington and George Mason are sort of in limbo. Uh, American just fired their head coach. Maybe Howard uh, gets into the NCAA tournament for the first time in forever, which would be great. But at the top, are you at least somewhat happy that somebody is going to represent the D.C. area in the tournament? Or are you like, oh, God, please, no, enough of Maryland? Well, you know, you caught me in a good spot. I, Ten years ago, five years ago, I might have answered that question differently. But one I have liked what Kevin Willard's done at Seton Hall. He's obviously come through the area once a season, get a chance to talk to him. He seems like he knows what he's doing. Um, and two, you, you know, Maryland has done, you know, Willard this season I think was gravy, right? And Brian said that. Um, the amount of good local recruits he has coming in, um, you know, the kid from PVI, um, Harris Smith, um, Jamie Kaiser from IMG who starred at Lake Braddock, I actually, I'm, I'm kind of, you know, I'm happy what's going on over there. I don't dislike it, but I think it'd be a lot more interesting if Georgetown could compete with them, obviously. Um, and then you sort of have to wonder which player on this year's Georgetown team is Kevin Willer going to try and take? Because every year someone seems to transfer from Georgetown to Maryland. Yeah, well, what, 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 it's such a sign of college basketball that, yeah, right, they, they had Wahab went from Georgetown to Maryland then back to Georgetown, now Don Carey is for, went from Georgetown to Maryland. Yeah, so, and look, at this point, I would assume that there's a better chance that uh, Patrick Ewing the third, if that's, if that's such a thing, is on the Georgetown roster the next year versus anybody else because they're all going to leave, it feels like, <laughs> the way things are, uh, are, are, are headed. All right, let me ask you guys this. So going forward here into the tournament, the bracket obviously comes out tomorrow. We'll have, I, you know, we, we can guess all we want. Uh, beyond Maryland, per se, although that can be the thing, what for you is the most interesting part of whatever's about to happen? Because I said for me, I don't I, at this point I'm rooting for or against laundry far more than I am excited for individual players. But you guys are paying more attention than I am. So Brian, I'll start with you. What's the thing here with this NCAA tournament, maybe beyond Maryland playing in it, that you are excited to see a player, a team, a storyline? What's the thing that you're excited about? Yeah, I don't Ben, I don't know how good the best teams really are. Right? We're at we're at that point here where you know, um, it's kind of like Kentucky, right? You bring in one and dones every year, and, and the brand is Kentucky, and you know the team probably should be good, and they probably have a guy on the bench who's a future NBA all-star. But it's really hard to build a team that way, and Calipari's done it a couple of times, but, like, it's hard to sustain that if, if every year you're just totally revitalizing the roster. So, with some of these bigger teams, the Kansases, Kentuckys, you know, maybe to a lesser extent this year, but, you know, some of the, even Duke, you know, like, are these teams actually good, uh, you know, over the course of the season? Are they getting better? Or when we get into the tournament, has it been completely evened up so that, you know, maybe more of some of these uh, mid-level teams in, in these conferences, maybe a team like Marquette that's played really well is actually more of a um, – you know, final four or title contender than we think. I really don't have a great handle on it. I know there's some experienced teams. UCLA obviously would be, would be one, but like, I don't know. I don't know if you can play your way into that, uh, into that shape. Having said that North Carolina just did it last year. Right. So, um, you know, I, I guess you can to a certain extent, but that's, that's one thing I'm kind of interested in are, are these kind of bigger name teams with, with guys who may not be around next year, 
are they good enough to knock out, you know, maybe a group that's been together a little bit longer. It's, uh, you know, kind of the, the nature of college hoops at, at this point. Uh, Bobby, I'll turn that to you, but I will also note, not only does it look like North Carolina, I think is probably going to be out, no Syracuse, and obviously Syracuse made the huge coaching change. Uh, Jim Beheim is out after a 1,000 years coaching that program, which is, of course, Georgetown's big rival historically. So weird not to see some of those types of programs in there. No Krzyzewski coaching Duke. So, Bobby, for you, what stands out as we're getting closer to this NCAA tournament that you're going to want to keep your eye on? Well, Ben, uh, that was a great lead-in to where I want to go, which is basically – I'm interested in which of the new guys, not new coaches like it's their first year, but the next level. As we get older, these these coaches are all leaving the game. You know, from last year's Final Four, Coach K is gone. Jay Wright is gone. Um, obviously, Hubert was there the first time because Roy Williams left. You just mentioned Jay, Jim Beheim is gone. So, you know, can someone like Tony Bennett or Scott Drew get to a next level and get their second championship? Or will we see some of the younger next generation of coaches like uh, Brian already mentioned Marquette and Chaka Smart. They're really fun to watch with a kid, Tyler Kolick, that's a Big East player of the year. He started out as the A-10 freshman of the of the year a couple years ago during COVID over here in Fairfax with George Mason. Um, you know, this is the first time in forever that there is an enormous pressure on Gonzaga and Mark Few. They're still a good team, but it's not like they've been number one all season. Um you know, also can Mick Cronin break through. I didn't think that was a very good hire a couple years at UCLA, and I've proven to be very, very wrong on that. So I think it's, you know, which of the new, who's going to pick up the slack? I mean, from the old guard, you basically have, you know, who's left. I guess Huggins is an interesting character at West Virginia. Um, if Kelvin Sampson were able to do something, he's never won a title, but he's been great with Houston. He's on the older side when you're talking about the younger guys I just mentioned. So for me, it's, Who's going to become the next K, the next Roy Williams? Like, And this is the opportunity for all those guys because it seems like everyone's kind of even. Yeah, I mean, look, as I, somebody, as somebody, like I said, for me, the last few years of college basketball has been rooting for or against, essentially, these coaches. These are the, the coaches are the ones that, you know, the players change, the coaches stay, but now even the coaches we've all known, they're all moving on, and it definitely reshapes I think a lot of us look at the sport. But either way, everybody loves the bracket, loves the madness. We get that next week. Uh, everybody also, well, I don't know, loves is a bit strong, but everybody at least likes or tolerates Brian and Bobby. I kid. Uh, Brian is <laughs> at McNally 14 on Twitter. Bobby is at Bobby Bancroft on Twitter. Bobby, of course, also has a Georgetown Hoyas podcast that I don't know if you guys have updated this or where we're at with that, but presumably you will have thoughts about this Georgetown situation. Fellas, appreciate you, you, you coming on with me. Uh, and answering my rambling questions, we will talk. Thank you, Ben. Thanks, Ben. Yeah, it's fascinating, the world of college basketball these days. I I admit I am faded out a bit, and there's a lot of people who still care, but it does feel like college basketball is in a very weird spot these days. It does not. It is really now feels like just about sort of the tournament and the rest of it is not really penetrating as much the national conversation, but this is the the month for the tournament to shine. And hopefully from the local perspective, a change to Georgetown, this going to the first year of momentum for Kevin Willard helps get, helps to revitalize college basketball in this town. Uh, we've got more to discuss. We're taking your calls at 800-636-1620. 
1067. You want to react to anything we just discussed there about these local programs. You want to talk more commanders. Whatever you got, we're here until 1245 today on 1067 The Fan. All right, welcome back to 1067 The Fan. Ben standing here. Got about another hour to go uh, with you. We have been talking a lot about, of course, the commanders with free agency starting up in the last uh, couple segments. We touched on Georgetown's coaching search as well as Maryland's uh, impressive first year under Kevin Willard. And I want to take your calls on these or whatever other topics you've got. 800-636-1067. Greg in Upper Marlboro is here, and I think he wants to stay on the college basketball scene. Greg, you're on 106.7 The Fan. Hey, how you doing this morning? Uh, I don't know if it was just me, but the the college basketball landscape here in uh, the Washington, D.C. area, I'm a 53-year-old man, so uh, it seemed like that media across the board, I don't know if they really wanted to touch the Georgetown issue per se as far as what happened at Georgetown, and it seemed like it was like a lack of coverage across the board with with a lot of college basketball in this area. I know it's a commander's town, but this is a big basketball influence here, and it just seemed like to me that it, it, from afar it looked like people that, that that people really didn't want to touch the Georgetown thing. They knew it was there, but it's like, hey, that's a major story for a team that has sustained excellence for over – Almost you talking about over almost twenty five years, and then you know because of because of what happened up there, uh, it's going to be a change in the guard. So I think it was a big story that was kind of undersold, and uh, you know, like I said, that was just just me. But as far as the Georgetown coaching search, well, just to, and, and just I to think, just uh, to, just to stop you there, Greg, mm-hmm. for a quick sec, because I think you make a really good point about this, and I can speak to this somewhat intelligently because as somebody who for many years. Uh, when I got into uh, journalism, the writing in, in more recent times, I did a lot of freelancing covering college basketball. Based on where I lived, I tended to do more Georgetown than Maryland, but I also did George Washington, George Mason, American games that people would pay me to go to the games to cover them. Not necessarily every game. For Georgetown, yes. The other ones, sporadically, depending on the situation. And I can tell you that if I wasn't on the commander's beat, I would not be able to make money based on covering these teams locally anymore because nobody is 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 paying to have anybody cover these teams. Even the Washington Post, I don't think they sent anybody to several Georgetown games late in the year. Certainly they didn't travel with them on the road anymore. And a lot of this, it's not just the losing. In Georgetown's case, they are not particularly historically media friendly. By that, I just mean they don't really – help the cause. They're very restrictive in information they provide in, in sometimes in getting players. Historically, they've had the deal where freshmen couldn't even talk uh, until their second semester. I think that's been relaxed a bit now lately. But I, I used to tell Georgetown people this when I was covering the team. If you guys don't become a bit more vulnerable to the fan base as well as to the media, then you better keep winning. Because once the wins die up, there's nothing left to grab onto. And that's what we've seen the last couple of years here. They're losing and nobody is showing up anymore because if you're not a Georgetown alum, you have no connection. And I think that does include 
the media, because if nobody's reading, then the bosses don't want you to go cover the team. But you were going to launch into what you think Georgetown should do now, so so go ahead. Yes, I think you you were exactly correct because a lot of times in the in the in the in the post you would see the story come from the AP as opposed to one of the writers themselves actually writing the actual story. So you're exactly correct, but this is where that's this is where it's brought that program to where uh, you now in a situation where you got to get you got to get a coach in there that's going to grant access, going to pull people in. So this is a new generation. So the Hoya paranoia days, you can't you can't run a program like that anymore. You can't do it. The ki- the kids don't follow that that mindset. So now it's a, you're doing a hard reset. But three names outside of the Patinos and the Coolies that 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 was out there. But I, I like Kim English at George Mason. I like uh, Strewsbury at Penn State. And I thought the guy that I really wanted, but I don't know if they can afford to buy it up there, was, was, was Dennis Gates. And he was one that I really, really thought that uh, he expressed interest in the job at one time. So, But those three guys, I think, can really trust the obvious two Cooley and uh, Patino, I think those those five guys can really get into that program and really make a change. But you got to do a hard reset across the board. Like I said, using your social media, opening it up for for fans to make it more fan friendly, so you can attract people in. But in this age of college basketball, you can change the team around in a year or two. So with the with the right with the right folks involved. So I think it's a cultural reset that needs to be to happen up at the Hoyas. Yeah, Greg, Greg, great points. I appreciate the call. And and in this era, like I cannot stand this era of college basketball where everybody's transferring every other year. Like some guys are playing like in three and four different schools. I can't stand that. Yeah. I have no feel anymore of who's on what team or you can't connect to the players. But when you're a team like Georgetown that is starting from the bottom, trying to start over, one great way to do it is attract players and they can go get people pretty quickly uh, across the board. Uh, You mentioned Dennis Gates, the Missouri coach. He did just sign an extension yesterday through 2028. So presumably he's out. And I I wanted to get you off the line because you said George Mason coach Kim English. Uh, Caitlin here is a proud George Mason alum. I saw her get very, I think she may have been balled up a fist. I'm not sure over that, over the idea of Kim English being taken away to Georgetown, so I didn't want to provoke a provoke an argument here um, over that. Did you, Caitlin? Am I am I accurate with that assessment? I mean, I, I would say so. I, you know, we're not the greatest team ever, but at the same time, it's definitely better than when I was at Mason. Um, I was at Mason about five years ago. I graduated in like 2018, so I was there from like 2014 to 2018, and I saw I saw some rough stuff. So we're definitely on the up, not back in like the. 2000 that one time in 2006 um but you know i, I want i want to keep on the 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 upwards pattern yeah, for no sure. f- fair enough look if george if georgetown did decide to go looking more for uh you know a lower you know somebody who's sort of uh, not a, a, as proven a coach as the ed cooleys of the world i i think kim english would be interesting and i mentioned earlier mike jones now the assistant of Virginia Tech, who was the head coach at DeMatha, 
that would again certainly you would think be a good move for recruiting because he would have a lot of ties in the area. Um, but look, for your sake, for the sake of George Mason, I still know people over there. Let Kim English stay there, continue to help that program develop and go from there. We've got plenty more to discuss, though, here on 1067 The Fan. I want to get into some specifics for the commanders when it comes to free agency, things to keep an eye on next week. We'll do that next here on 1067 The Fan. The um, NFL free agency starts on Wednesday, but the official. But well, the unofficial, official, whatever it is, tampering, legal tampering period, that starts on Monday. So we'll start hearing deals uh, announced, not officially, but we'll hear deals being reported on Monday. Of course, that could happen minutes after the window opens, which is wild because it's the legal tampering period. But somehow people have already probably talked. Not, uh, let me rephrase that. People have already talked and and made up some of these deals come to some terms before even the tampering period starts. But we all play this game that nobody's talking to anybody. In any event, the question is for Washington is what are they going to do? Um, and, and how quickly will they kind of get moving here? You know, as we said in 2020, I think 2020 is probably as close to what Ron Rivera is looking at this year compared to then. It's slightly different because this time it feels like there's maybe some more budget constraints being put on because of the ownership situation. Whereas in 2020, it was just, you know, new coach coming in uh, and they went with sort of that bargainy type approach where they didn't sign guys, you know, big name players per se, but they did get a Logan Thomas and a JD McKissick and a Ronald Darby. And those guys were really good values. And they had a few other players like that, that, that worked out for them. To me, that's kind of where I see things headed this year as well. When we talk about the commanders not spending in free agency, I mean, you know, don't take me literally. They're going to sign players. They will field a roster. There will be people who were not on this team last year who will be here this year. It's just that when the day, when the first day or two goes, right, I'm just not anticipating Washington being somebody who is signing certain. Look, they could you, you can sign a more under the radar name whenever you want, but typically those early ones are the guys who are at the top of the free agency list, and then the, the, they sort of set the market. You know, they reestablish what what the values are at certain positions, and then things trickle down from there. So, if you're a defensive lineman, you probably want to see what uh, Javon Hargrave uh, is getting before. Uh, you know, you, you're going to make a, a, a deal. Uh, Orlando Brown at left tackle, uh, James Bradbury at cornerback, et cetera. Um, again, I don't see Washington being in the mix for these players. But what I do think they can be aggressive is with players who are sort of on these prove it situations. By that, we mean they're coming off of an injury, coming off of a down, to, down year, a down circumstance, something where they're – their market uh, right now probably does not match the potential that they offer, but nobody is necessarily going to give them a multi-year deal for a lot of guaranteed money based on where they're at. So you go to a team like Washington that maybe like, again, I don't see Washington being big spenders, but if you're signing someone to a one year, $10 million contract, that's not a big deal. And perhaps that's good money 
for some players. I use as an example in my free agent story I had up on The Athletic the other day about Mike Gusecki, the tight end from Miami. Now, I think Washington feels pretty good about their tight ends with Logan Thomas and then the three kids. But Mike Gusecki, to me, is a really tremendous player who had a down year with Miami last year because they got a bunch of receivers and they turned the offense in that direction and his numbers were down. He played last year on the franchise tag, which is a little over $10 million. Maybe he would be interested in joining an offense which had the guy who was Travis Kelsey's offensive coordinator for the last few years as a way to rehab his value. Again, Washington doesn't seem to me like they're going to be in that market, but that's the type of player that I'm talking about. Someone that we know is pretty good, but for whatever reason, they're coming off a down year, and this is maybe where Washington can take advantage of it, assuming that they really are not going to sign a lot of players to a lot of long-term deals. Um, all right, we, we're going to keep talking more about the Commanders in our final in our final hour, but you want to keep talking about college basketball. We did in the last uh, in the last hour. Thrilled to do that as well. We'll talk some Wizards as well. We'll do all that next here on 106.7 The Fan.